Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or download our 2024 sponsor kit from our homepage at onstrategyshowcase.com. Here's a clip from today's episode. The need for comm strategy uh, is getting greater and greater, but the conditions for executing it are getting harder and harder. Um, and what I mean by that is you know, we've got more data than ever. We've got more effectiveness knowledge than ever. We can identify and reach consumers more precisely and personally than ever before. And all of that's driven through leaps forward in algorithms, machine learning, and automated processes. But, you know, in an oversimplistic way, perhaps, you know, we're gradually moving towards a world where you can push a button to identify growth challenges and opportunities, and then you can push another button to distribute a customized message to a precise audience to deliver that growth. And, and that's amazing. Um, but I do worry that if we're not careful, those two things will squeeze out the role of strategy that exists between identifying the growth audience and distributing the message. That's a John Giddings, uh, International Head of Strategy at Wavemaker in Los Angeles. He's joined by Eliza Kaplan, Executive Director, Global Strategy at OMD in New York City, and David Broad, former Marketing Strategy Director at Spotify. In this last episode in this series, we're talking connections planning, this time from the perspective of media shops. Um, influencing effectiveness is tough. In this role, I think you straddle the worlds of creative ideas and media message distribution, and there are many factors stacked against you. Many you have absolutely no influence over, such as media selection, struggles with achieving right reach, share of voices, more limited correlation to share growth and mental availability, uh, among others. John Wanamaker's decades old saying that 50% of my advertising budget is wasted, the trouble is I don't know which 50%, is still valid today. And I think now in an age of unlimited intelligence and data, that percentage may be even higher. Uh, just look at attention metrics, for example. According to Amplified Intelligence, the vast majority of digital display ads are either never seen or don't have enough time in view to warrant a true impression. So if your role is effectiveness, this is a very troubling reality, and it's a reality we can't just accept. We have to continue to do our part as an industry to improve it. I'm sure that the ad tech platforms and media properties are also interested in this, and they deserve our continued encouragement. In all of this, we can't overlook the importance of the human element. With the uh, debut of generative AI, its use in generating comm strategy, or at least contributing to that process feels inevitable. As our guests today point out, sitting between automated systems and media planning and buying, and now automation and comm strategy development, might be a precarious place to be. However, on the creative side, which is more easily influenced by the connection strategists, things look more hopeful. Brands are being smarter with messages fit for platform. Creativity in pre-roll and mid-roll ad environments are so much better than they once were. And there appears to be a heightened level of enthusiasm as we discover new ways to connect with audiences outside of ad platforms. I think it's breathing new life into both the strategy and creative roles. So in many ways, it's an exciting time to be in this industry. I'm joined today for the intro to this third and final episode in this series by Anne-Marie Kerwin, America's editor for Wark, the sponsor of this series and the voice of marketing effectiveness worldwide. Welcome, Anne-Marie. Hi, Fergus. Thanks for having me back. 
Now, one of the topics that comes up in the episode uh, is this idea of the risk of automation. The concern among uh, some of these uh, guests was the idea of having to be very conscious of the fact that automation runs the risk of squeezing out strategy. It's a very valid point because I think the idea is that maybe ideas can be generated through AI in addition to the way automation is very much a part of media buying and executing of plans. And if we're not careful, the middle might be squeezed out. So I'm just curious, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? What are you, uh, you guys at work learning about that and thinking about that? Yeah, that is uh, something that we've been thinking about and talking about a lot, actually, since Can last year. What's the human element when in the face of all this um, AI, all these AI tools that we have? Um, but we did just publish the Future of Media report this week. It's up on work.com. And within that report, uh, we're looking at what the impact of AI-powered products are on advertising. And it is forcing advertisers into kind of a difficult trade-off. Um, so what you give up by using AI-based advertising tools like Meta's Advantage Plus or Google's Performance Max is that you'll give up a degree of transparency and control over your campaign decision-making. In return, the promise is greater effectiveness and efficiency, but um, those decisions might be something you want humans to have uh, a say in. So for Advantage, for Advantage Plus with Meta, um, one of the independent tests that we cite in the report found that it was uh, used for audience targeting uh, which generated leads that were more cost-effective um, than using interest-based targeting methods, but the leads were generally of lower quality. Um, and with Google's Performance Max, um, it's been criticized for offering minimal insight into how spend is allocated across its channels, so between search or YouTube or Gmail or Maps. Um, users can get an aggregate view of performance, but no insight into how those specific channels are driving performance. So if the the trade-off would be if you wanted to use a, a more strategic way of targeting on Google and you're using Performance Max, you won't be able to tweak what your search is doing or what's showing up on YouTube. It, and so humans are giving that up to AI, which could be a problem depending on what you want to happen. So you can check out, uh, for those listeners, you can actually check out a preview of the Future of Media 2024 report on ORC's uh, homepage. It's warc.com, warc.com. Thanks to Anne-Marie. We're going to start episode three with John Giddings as he shares an analogy for comms versus media strategists. There's nothing like a good analogy to start a conversation. Enjoy. I have an analogy I use a lot. Um, it's kind of simple, um, but it works for me. And I wanted to be an architect when I was much younger. I didn't have the qualifications uh, to be an architect, so I became a comms strategist instead. Um, and, and this is kind of why. Um, and I look at it in the terms of buildings and construction, and I think that the comms strategists are the architects and media strategists are the engineers. So comm strategists sort of define and articulate the overall design, shape, look and feel. And then media strategists define and artic articulate the physics of how it works, the materials required to make it happen, and the details of how and when all of those materials will ultimately fit together and work together for the consumer. So it's, it's not so much art and science necessarily, because I think science is everywhere now, but perhaps, you know, to 
Nick, another architectural term. It's, it's more about form and function. And I think what's really important, um, and I talk about this a lot whenever I can, but it's, it's just the idea of collaboration. If we don't work together, the building will fail. You know, if you put an architect solely in charge, the building will be beautiful and desirable to people. But the risk is that it will probably collapse at some point. <laughs> but if you put an engineer solely in charge, um, the risk is that the building will work perfectly, but fewer people will want to live and work there. Um, so for me, that that's the kind of analogy I like to, to, to dwell on when trying to articulate the difference between a, a comm strategist and a media strategist. So David, for you, you've... You bring a unique voice to this because you've got, but you've got, you've got media agency experience. You've also got client side experience, so you can see both sides of that. And a lot of, and a lot of creative agency experience too. And a lot of creative agency experience. Yeah. So, what about what does this sort of world look like to you? Is it is it uh, as we brought up in the in the second episode? It's like, is this an issue of only when you have the the luxury of abundance and big budgets that you have so many people with so many titles? I do know that there's this battle between um, different types of strategy as we go through the the marketing process, um, and there's sometimes there's an allergy to uh, strategies within strategy, um, and a lot of times that's delivered because we have strategists working in different roles and different functions and different agency partners or whatever. Um, so there's the, do we have too much strategy and are they in conflict with one another or are they complementary to one another? Um, and you know, where are the, where are the lines between what the comm strategist that the creative agency is doing and the comm strategist that the media agency is doing and the marketing strategist at the client is doing, um, you know, I, I've always found that like it's great for all those people to coexist as long as there's a clear understanding of who does what uh, and what the handoffs are. I'm wondering, Eliza, is that the same on the age on the media shop side? Is there a, is there a worry about duplication of effort at all? I don't know if we worry as much about duplication between the media agency and the creative agency as much as we are interested in ensuring that all of the pieces are feasible and fit together and operate when the plan is actually constructed and put into market. Because when a plan is being put together, it passes through many hands and goes through quite a process to come to life. And a good comms strategy and also a good comms strategist and a good media planner at work together throughout the process to make sure that we don't lose sight of what we're trying to achieve. When it comes to effectiveness in particular, changing strategy or losing your strategy halfway through the process or forgetting your strategy when you get down to working with investment or working with measurement, those are the places where you're most likely to lose effectiveness is because you start to lose sight of what you're trying to work together to achieve. And it's those conflicting those conflicts that can arise when you get to the end of the process that I think derails effectiveness most. I totally agree with that. You know, there's like the pure version of your belief in strategy, which is we're going to make a bunch of choices. Um, they're going to be informed by whatever they're informed by, and they're about creating competitive advantage with whatever we're about to go do. 
um, whether that's buy media or develop a creative idea. Um, and we're going to stick to those. Um, and the, the closer we stick to those, the more cohesive the output and the outcomes are. Um, and I think with all of the, the passing of batons and all of the, you know, potential overlap between who does what those choices can get dulled and you can start to, um, you know, go back towards the mean or the average or best practices. Um, and, and, and then we get into like, okay, well, what was the incremental impact of those choices? And I think every time you, um, compromise there, you impact the incrementality of those choices. It's, it's often a, a minor miracle if the, if the strategy that you conceived at the beginning of the process actually makes it 70% intact into the wild. <laughs> I often feel that's a totally. minor miracle that that happens. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Let's dig into it, effectiveness. And I suppose the, the question becomes, um, Eliza, what does effectiveness mean in the media world and, and how is it achieved? Very bluntly, something is effective if it achieves its objective and achieves it well, ideally above benchmark. And I think that one of the ways that that happens with comm strategy is making sure that how something is planned, how is how it is executed and how it is evaluated are all make sense together and are all developed to achieve the objective. All too often, I see creative agencies briefed on a brand building tactic, a, a media agency briefed on a sales activation tactic, and what you get at the end is something that's muddled. And the measurement is based on the sales it drove. Now, wh and why would they be different briefing points? Why is that happening? One's on brand, one's on sales activation. Because it's the performance versus brand media mix or some other reason? I'm actually, David, interested in your perspective on this. Sometimes we see um, our clients have different teams are briefing creative agencies and different teams are briefing the media agency and perhaps there's not internal alignment. Interesting. Sometimes there's the expectation that one ad unit can achieve multiple things or should achieve multiple things. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an example of, of making decisions before or taking action before the strategy is set. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, which is a problem, which keeps us in business. But why? Tell tell us more, David. Do, do well, you, it's, it's you, not, you know, uh, media client briefs media agency. Uh, I need you to develop a plan that uh, you know achieves this objective. Let's let's say it's some sort of short term sales objective, uh, launching a new product, velocity of a new whatever, um, and the the creative client is briefing the creative agency, and I think we should maybe come up with a, a big brand idea. I don't know, know where it fits in the plan yet, but we have time and scope uh, to think about that. Um, and then later on, the two are tried, you know, we we might try to smush the two together. When you say a media client versus a brand client, what is a media client inside a company? Yeah, I mean, um, within my former employer, uh, there was a head of media and they had the relationship with the media agency. Um, and uh they were sort of that matrixed resource that marketing worked with to develop um 
you know, marketing campaigns. Uh, but they they sort of had control and, and remit over the the media investment, media planning, media buying, the relationship with the agency. Um, and then there were the the marketing and brand and creative folks who uh, had a different job. So they were writing the creative briefs and developing the creative work. You know, I, I think uh, within Spotify, that machine ran really well. Um, I think primarily because a lot of that work is done in-house um, and there was a great rhythm to the work. But, I, you know, I'd have to imagine that there are organizations where the the person whose remit is over media and the person whose remit is over creative don't necessarily talk a lot um, or maybe see things differently and are working off of a different strategic playbook. Um, or, or see their internal clients as in, as separate internal clients, right? Yeah. Or if their finance teams are giving them two separate goals. I've seen that as well. We can look at the role of of a of a sort of calm strategy as putting together that architecture. Is what's on top of mind at that point about great ideas and thinking, or is it effectiveness, or or what's the balance between those two potential you know focus areas? Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're here to deliver the the brand and business outcomes um, that our clients need. So, so I don't think you can really sort of change effectiveness as being our North Star to what, what we're here to achieve. Um, I think, you know, in some ways, our job, um, in some ways, our, our job, our role is to, you know, on the one hand, you've got amazing ideas, amazing creativity. And on the other hand, we've got, we have to hit these results. We have to hit these targets, ideally beat those targets. Um, and so our kind of job, you know, is is almost to you know take those amazing ideas, those ama that amazing thinking, um, and you know shape it or um, play with it so that we never lose the core of 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 that idea and creativity. Um, at the same time as making sure that we deliver what we need to do. Um, so it's kind of you're you're acting again in that sort of bridge role, and you know, trying to make sure that on the one hand. Um, you don't screw up the idea. <laughs> On the other hand, you don't screw up the outcomes. And and that's that's kind of our job. I don't know whether you call it an orchestrator, a conductor, or or something like that, just a glorified middle person. Um, but ultimately that's that's what we have to balance. That's that's what we're looking to make sure we shepherd, you know, both through without collateral damage. When we talk about building a comms strategy, one of the important pieces, especially if you've been working on a piece of business for a long time or the agency has had a piece of business for a long time, is you have past results. And ideally, your learnings are building on each other over time and become part of the starting point of where you begin, starting with what has worked well in the past. How do we continue to get the most out of that learning or the most out of that truth that we know? but still continuing to evolve, continuing to add to what we know, and then using creativity and bravery to break it when it needs to be broken in order to deliver the objective. But I think that what has happened in the past and the effectiveness we've seen in the past drives future effectiveness as well. So when you look at, when you look at a new media environment or a recent media environment where everything is so fragmented and, and achieving uh, reaches effective reach is so difficult 
Um, how do you how do you think about how do you think about reach? And do you have as much control if your if your lens is on effectiveness, but reach is so difficult to achieve? Are are you thinking as a comm strategist down that deep, or is that somebody else's responsibility in in the realm of effectiveness, Eliza? How does that how does that work? A media planner is definitely concerned with building effective reach. And part of their role is ensuring that we are achieving that objective and that we're thinking about different partners and bringing them together in different ways, bringing our targets together in different ways. I think that a strong comm strategist might be considering how important it is to layer on different elements to, in order to deliver reach. But in my experience, that is often the realm of a media planner. I think that to build on that, I think there's um, I think there's an element of comm strategy where you have to check yourself to make sure that your strategy is big enough to kind of house the reach that you're going to be looking to achieve. So um, just to kind of make up an example, but if, you're, if your strategy is highly contextual and you're saying that these are the three contexts that we need to align our brand to, if those three contexts don't live you know, with enough reach in terms of the consumer experience, then you might need to go back and think, okay, either I need to I need to expand the strategy, I need to expand the behaviors I want I want um, the strategist to adopt when they take this to market, just because the context is too narrow. So I need to find a broader playing field for this particular strategy. So I think this part part of our role is definitely to to make sure that the strategic guidelines that we set up in the architecture um, are big enough to house the the reach outcomes that we're looking to achieve. David, how about you? What about this issue of, of of reach and effective effective reach? I mean, some people have labeled it as right reach uh, because of the complexity of of achieving it. And right and right isn't just about uh, reach in the total number, but it's about effective reach where where people are actually paying attention to messages. This whole idea of attention metrics has become a major issue within the industry, also. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we I think we've. We've known and proved and probably proved again, time and time again, that, you know, reach is a critically important metric. It's correlated to top of mind and salience and all the, the things that brands are looking for, you know, when they're thinking about, you know, upper funnel outcomes. Um, I know that that job is getting a lot harder. Um, you can't just buy broadcast and maybe some some cable prime or whatever you used to be able to do back in the day. And so you have to have people who know how to do that, particularly because that is such a critically important metric. As a strategist, we, we tend to put a lot of weight, or a, a, a lot on the shoulders of the strategist in terms of a responsibility for effectiveness. And as I listen to you guys, I'm thinking that there are some of these responsibilities such as reach and right reach that maybe fall into, as Eliza said, the the media planner responsibility. Um, yeah. But is not yours. So where is that line drawn between what a comm strategists can can say they play a role in and are policing, in essence, for effectiveness purposes, and what's out of their control? The strategist effectively sets conditions for the right reach to be achieved, but ultimately delivering the right reach is the responsibility um, of the media strategist. There's um there's an, there's an example I might um just. Here's an example from something I did um, or was, was involved in a few years ago, which I think is quite an interesting demonstration. So um, I used to 
uh, do this work with my team for a workwear brand. Um, and I think it's a good demonstration of, of what we're talking about. And the, the media plan in this question um, was heading for a kind of fairly straightforward, we know the audience, we know how much reach we need to achieve, let's just serve them the message as efficiently as, as possible. Um, and that was kind of the way it, way it was all going. But but what comms strategy added to the party um, was, first of all, it went, hang on a minute, let's pause and think about this. Um, and then it put in a richer, more interesting context uh, that could not only just enhance and elevate the effectiveness of the plan, but also influence how messaging was developed. And so you know, in this in, in in this example, I think the audience were you know, makers, people who build things at home, like to customize their car and that sort of thing. Um, and what the common strategist team did was just try and think about the human insight or truth um, that people uh, who are doing new things, starting new projects like building something new at home or, or customizing a new car bring to the party. And you think about strategists every new year it's a new year so we buy a new moleskin notebook you know every strategist in the world ever um you go on holiday uh you buy a new outfit and so as a maker when you start a new project you know maybe you'd like to buy a new work shirt or a pair of work pants uh, but because they're makers they're also buying other new things a new tool that's needed or new materials specific to the project so what what the com strategist then started to recommend was focus on these signals you know, people buying new tools, buying new materials and tailor the message accordingly. So getting a new tool, get new pants, you know, that sort of thing, you know, but you know, it's, this stuff is expensive and makers, you know, love a good deal. So don't just focus on Home Depot buyers or Amazon audiences. Also look at marketplaces like Craigslist or OfferUp, you know, and then I think the second improvement was around signals of instruction. You know, you're doing a new project, so the chances are you're following someone on YouTube who is telling you how to do it. So learning and education is a, is a massive segment of YouTube and, and a big part of a new project that makers are delivering at home. So how to build a table, how to customize your car on YouTube. So really hone in on that channel. We'll be right back. This series is brought to you by Wark. Big news, Wark has relaunched its effectiveness awards to be bigger and better than ever. The Wark Awards 2024, in association with Lions, will celebrate strategic brilliance and effective impact. They're built and benchmarked on the consistent global framework of the creative effectiveness ladder. So if you're a marketer or a strategist with an example of effective marketing, this is an unmissable opportunity to amplify your great work to Wark's community of more than 75. 5,000 marketers. With 12 categories and five regional award shows, you enter once for the chance to win in both your region and a chance to win a global Grand Prix where you can prove your campaign is the most effective in the world. Entries are now open with the final deadline on February 6th. 2024. For more info on the fees and regions covered, head to wark.com backslash awards. That's w-a-r-c.com backslash awards. Now back to the show. There's so many layers of metrics that exist within the entire funnel, however you want to define it. What do you what do you what do you look to to kind of say, yeah, we made a difference and it's evident in X, Y, or Z? That's a great question. I think for a comm strategist, the, the measures I tend to look at in terms of whether or not we were successful in our contribution made a difference tend to be, I kind of, you know, you can probably call them higher order or higher level measures. 
brand data, I look at a lot. Um, I think, you know, things like salience and distinctiveness, um, I think to me are very important. Uh, a, a lot more, some of the more sort of intricate or more detailed and nuanced media metrics, I think those are the responsibility of the specialists. Um, but for us, we live in a world of growth, you know, and, you know, are we growing the brand? Are we growing the business? Are we growing the customer base? So, so the, the metrics that kind of align with those for me, are, are the more important. You know, there are factors that are big gaping holes. We touched on this briefly earlier, but I want to revisit it. There are big gaping holes that, that, that I'm curious whether these are on your radar. The idea of attention metrics, for example, and the recent work that is pointed to the, to, that is su suggesting that the majority of digital advertising goes unnoticed, not simply, not just because it might be a dull idea, but because it's just never seen. And if, if we're, if, um, if effectiveness is our charter, is that on our, is that on our radar? Or are we trying to make sure to, to, um, to uh, John's point earlier that the people that are dealing with media metrics are looking at these these issues and beginning to solve them. I mean, attention has been a really big deal over the last you know five or so years. Some folk have made it that you know the the one and only thing that they they talk about. I think it's I think it's part of the picture. I think it, the more that we can identify um, as as you might have called it earlier, right reach. Um, the better. If I'm a strategist in the world of media, I'd be all kinds of pissed because I'm thinking, arguably, I'm losing potentially 50% of my uh, my upside potential for effectiveness because of of waste, because of various factors. And as a strategist, if I want to, if lens is effectiveness, I got to fix that. I we have got to fix it. it. No one strategist can fix it, of course. I think you're, I mean the problem is an advertising industry ecosystem problem. It's not. It's it. It's not necessarily something that a strategist themselves can fix. You know, we have built an ecosystem that is largely a poor experience for consumers yes. and a poor experience for advertisers. And you know, that's not something that's readily solvable. That takes a, a huge industry, agency-wide effort, vendor-wide effort, platform-wide effort to try and build something which is a better experience and that consumers and, and an environment where consumers are happy to receive advertising. And I think, you know, one of the things we saw in the past from a broadcast point of view, you know, is what happened to ad loads on broadcast linear TV. I mean, it just got ridiculous. Ad loads meaning the number of spots that run in a break? Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm I'm not a broadcast expert, but I, I came to the US from from the UK, where you know we'd be upset if there was more than five ads in a break, you know, and then you get to the US and it's like there's twelve ads in a break, and it's like, oh my god, and, and so you know even even in uh, one of the most powerful you know most effective media environments available, we had started to create an experience, you know, which was you know not beneficial to consumers and 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 that's only got more of the case when it comes to the digital ecosystem that we built so we should be doing everything we can as an industry to try and remedy that situation but it's not it's not something that comes a comm strategist can kind of tweak the plan to try and avoid those scenarios but i don't think we're going to fix the problem
I, I love the I love the work of um, people like Karen Nelson Field at Amplified Intelligence, and, and she's been on the show. And I think she's beginning, and others are beginning to sort of build awareness amongst the broader community that there is just such a um, such a level of underperformance in, and they're measuring it typically in display advertising. Um, that it's a, that that there's so much waste within that, and I, and I think what I'm hearing here is we can't as strategists do a whole lot for that but on that side but we could on the creative execution side right i remember when i first talked um to uh, john you brought up this term that i loved you said uh congruent context if you may remember our conversation yeah, I'd, I'd like to talk about that because that's a huge role for the strategist is understanding not just fit for format but fit for moment or fit for context that the idea uh, can can work and sometimes the obvious uh execution of an idea is not the best way to do it and you you talked about uh, i remember you talking about the horror movies as an I example to elaborate on it yeah please i'd love to get it like it's worthy it's worth a listen for sure oh god right um so this is for um a chocolate brand and the media agency decided to test the consumer response to different congruent and incongruent contexts in which to place the chocolate brands ads. So what's, they, what's congruent for those who congruent is basically alignment. Uh, incongruence is dissonance. Um, so they employed neuroscience technologies like EEG and GSR um, to measure sort of non-conscious neurological responses to the chocolate brand ads by consumers. Um, and they ended up studying joy which was the congruous context um you know it's chocolate who you know chocolate is joy um versus fear which was the incongruous context um and we all love context as a mechanism for trying to elevate consumer response but i think we also all assume that alignment should be harmonious you think of chocolate and joy so you kind of go when harry met sally joy great british break-off joy you know, so who wouldn't put chocolate in those environments? But but what they found was that consumers responded better to chocolate in a fearful environment or context than they did in a joyful one. So in simple terms, advertising chocolate in Saw 10 is more effective than advertising chocolate in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, although, frankly, no one should be advertising in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Um, <laughs> but I think what... What I love about it is that in hindsight, it makes so much sense because chocolate gives people comfort. It's warm and fuzzy. So if you're watching a warm and fuzzy TV show or movie, a warm and fuzzy product won't stand out. It won't be distinctive. But if you're watching a horror movie and you're scared witless, what's the one thing your brain is screaming out for? Safety, security, comfort so when something warm and comforting appears in the ad break of a horror movie your brain just makes a beeline for it and i think there's a lesson in this which is you know the one thing i take out of this story however elaborate it's now got um is we should remember to think about context from the perspective of the psychological need in the consumer's brain not as the shared attributes between the brand and the content the consumer is watching and I think we always assume that context should be shared attributes. The brand stands for this. This program matches this. Let's put these two things together. Where actually what you should be thinking about is the context of what the consumer needs in their brain when they're watching that context.
As I listen to the three of you guys, I'm conflicted because if I had three comm strategists from an agency on this episode today, we'd be having the same conversation. And so I'm sort of, I'm, I'm coming out of the series kind of going, while comm strategy isn't that different in a, a media shop versus in, uh, in a creative shop, um, how the hell does that work? So I'm just curious, as I listen to each of you talk, I'm like, you guys can exist in either environment. Um, and it doesn't seem that doing your job well in a media agency requires you to be in a media agency. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm wondering if I am, in what ways am I? I don't think you're wrong. I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm working as part of an um, integrated team right now um, with the... Um, and I'm the sort of I'm the media agency representative um, on that team, and the rest of the team are, are from the creative agency. No, but the and I'm I'm involved in writing creative briefs at the moment, which is something I you know, you know traditionally wouldn't necessarily be doing um, as part of a media agency. But it's just the nature of the team. It's sort of you know we're all working in each other's space, you know, and we're all collaborating effectively together. So I think you can. Um, I think media agencies, you probably have access to more data. Um, and I think that's probably the difference. I think there's an advantage to being closer to the coalface when it comes to the channels that are being executed in and the innovation that can be brought to how you show up in those channels. But apart from that, I think we can coexist. But why does the industry need both? I agree. Uh, everybody can work and collaborate, but why is it necessary to have both? If you can live in both worlds, why isn't there just one comm strategy on a piece of business? The integrated agency doesn't exist anymore. So you like the, the comm strategist at the creative agency and the comm strategist, they are the bridge. Them yeah. holding hands, you create the bridge that used to exist, but no longer does. I mean, or no longer does on uh, from like the holding company perspective. Interesting. So they're so they're the glue that they're just not the same person, but they're the, that it's that practice area. It's that point of connection. Yeah, I think if you can if you can work with a a creative team in bringing media and channel and comms uh, insight and strategy to them, and then turn around and work with media planners and buyers and um, relate that to them and bring creative thinking into their work, like that is you know, essentially like your day-to-day -day job. Um, and like, yeah, you, you, can you can do that job at either place. Well, oftentimes, like when I was working in a creative agency, one of the things that I missed the most or craved the most was the data and insights that I would have had easy access to if I had been sitting in a media house or that easy access to campaign results. You know, we're here talking about effectiveness, but how do you plan to become even more effective if you're unsure of the results of the campaign? Um, so to any creative strategist sitting out there, I recommend that you get close to your media team and talk about the results so that you can input that into how you change your strategy or develop your strategy or work with your, with your media team. Um, and then... Another part of it too, like we were talking about being closer to the coal face and um, do you have that perspective? Are you keeping in mind the perspective of the channels? And one of the biggest changes we made is we stopped bringing 
print ads and out of home executions to the client to prove out ideas and instead started bringing social posts and Snapchat filters and things that were more likely to actually make their way onto the plan. We found easier success in selling through creative ideas if we were able to prove them out in the channels that would actually make it onto the plan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I remember when I, when I, I had the same experience joining McCann, whenever it was, um, you know, if you looked at any of their creative presentations to their clients, it was a buffet of ideas. Um, many of them without any purpose or direction or objective or expected outcome. And so the first job was like, okay, we're not going to, we're going to reorganize how we talk about ideas with clients. It's not going to be, uh, here's our, here's our manifesto script and here's some Facebook stuff. And here's a couple, uh, at home things and we'll figure out what we do later. It was, no, we're going to show you the work that does this job in these channels. And then we're going to show you the work that does this job in these channels. And this is the, you know, this is the solution that we think is right, given what we know. Um, and so it exactly right, Eliza, like it made creative work much more sellable. You, you weren't questioning what it was meant to do. You had an understanding of why it was there and why it was being shared. I think that that part's really important. You know, be, beyond being fit for a channel, sometimes the sexiest, biggest creative ideas don't have as many legs in the real world as one would hope, or we're not able to think of them or not able to bring them to life in the most effective ways. And so thinking further upstream about how it would come to life in the channels that we know reach our customer often helps that or test out or pressure test the creative ideas that end up being the most effective. Last question is about the future of media. There's a lot of talk about a lot of dimensions, and, and I think most of them are great conversations to be having. Uh, nobody can predict the future, but when you guys look out over the next few years at, at the media landscape and, and, and just the ways of connecting with consumers in general, what does the role of comm strategists need to be conscious of, and, and in what ways might the role shift? One of the things I think a lot about is consumer journey, because you were right when you said that the environment is getting more and more fragmented. And I see that a lot in the number of agencies and stakeholders that I have to work with on a daily basis. Like take a CPG brand, for example. Um, a comms plan is a great way to start a conversation with the retail retail side of the house. And oftentimes those sit very separately from the paid advertising house, like part of the house. And so a comm strategy in the past um, has been a great way to start bridging that gap um, because as retail becomes more, like retail media becomes more and more complicated, they have to be considered as part of the consumer journey. Um, thinking about working with like influencers or, you know, there's all these types of media that our brand teams can activate directly from within their own teams. And so making sure that we're, bringing all those different pieces together to lessen waste, I think is an important role. Um, and then working with media agencies or media teams to um, be very clear about what we're trying to achieve so that even like the test and learns that we develop are still built to be delivering that higher order objective. How about you, John? I've got a slightly different um, take on the question. And I'd love to know what Eliza and David think about this. Um, but I think 
My question is, my answer is, is one where I think the need for comm strategy uh, is getting greater and greater, but the conditions for executing it are getting harder and harder. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we've got more data than ever. We've got more effectiveness knowledge than ever. We can identify and reach consumers more precisely and personally than ever before. And all of that's driven through leaps forward in algorithms, machine learning, and automated processes. But, you know, in an oversimplistic way, perhaps, you know, we're gradually moving towards a world where you can push a button to identify growth challenges and opportunities, and then you can push another button to distribute a customized message to a precise audience to deliver that growth. And, and that's amazing. Um, but I do worry that if we're not careful, those two things will squeeze out the role of strategy that exists between identifying the growth audience and distributing the message. Um, and I think it's a risk because as we've all talked about today, delivering distinctiveness is a massive part of our job. Sorry, can I ask a question about that? Sorry to make this a, a, a dialogue, but like if yeah, we yeah. all push the same button, if we all have access to the you same button, the same thing that happened to display advertising will happen to whatever the next thing is. Exactly, exactly that. And, you know, strategies are going to get subjected to trial by analytics, you know, more and more and more and more. And by the time they've made their way through that trial by analytics, they're going to have been dragged back to the average and we're going to end up with category generic plans. Yeah. Uh, so the role of the comm strategist, why it's more important than ever is, you know, yes, use the machines to find the average plan, but then our job is to focus time and energy on finding differentiation, finding distinctiveness that can, whilst building on the, the work that, you know, the machines and the robots do can also beat them. Our job is ultimately to beat that average plan that is generated by the algorithms and machine learning and the automation. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. It's John Giddings. He is International Head of Strategy at Wavemaker in Los Angeles. It's Eliza Kaplan, Executive Director of Global Strategy at OMD in New York. And David Broad is a former Spotify Marketing Strategy Director, also a PhD in McCann and Anomaly. Uh, it is so great to have all three of your voices as part of this. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so Thanks. much. It's been Thank fun. You. Thank you. And we'll, we'll see everybody on the next episode.